Welcome to Inspiring Minds, powered by the Edison Awards, where we showcase the leading innovators from across the globe. I'm your host, Jennifer Trammell. If you or someone you love has been through a cancer screening, you know the anxiety of waiting for results. You want accurate results as soon as possible. Deep Bio, a biotech startup in South Korea, is using artificial intelligence to help detect and diagnose cancer. The Edison Awards honored Deep Bio with a silver Edison Award in 2021 for Deep DX Prostate, a diagnostic solution that empowers pathologists to become faster and more accurate when making critical diagnostic decisions for prostate cancer. First, digitized images of a patient's prostate biopsy tissue can be uploaded onto the software. Then, the AI algorithm analyzes to detect areas of cancer and highlights suspected areas based on the Gleason scoring system. The software also computes other critical values, such as total tumor area of tissue and tumor length. This helps guide treatment. DeepBio founder and CEO Sun Woo Kim joins us to share his entrepreneurial journey, why this use of AI is coming at just the right time, and how DeepBio is making a difference for pathologists and patients. Sun, welcome to Inspiring Minds. Yeah, I really appreciate it for sharing your time with us. <laughs> Well, we're glad to have you. It's early morning for me here in the States. You're staying late at the end of the day over in Korea. Thanks for being together right. today. No problem. It's uh, 7 p.m. here, though. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to get you home. Let's have a great conversation <laughs> about Deep Bio, and uh, okay, we'll let sure. you wrap up your day with that. I want to <laughs> say congratulations to you and your team on the Silver Edison Award. Right. I really appreciate that. Our co-workers are really excited about that. And when we were watching the video ceremony, they were screaming together. <laughs> oh, how exciting. Of course, we wish you could have been with us for the celebration, but good to know right. that you guys were all together on the other side of the world. Right. We did that. Unfortunately, we couldn't go there because there was a COVID situation and we couldn't arrive there. Yeah, we've all faced this global upset over the last 18 months, but that really hasn't slowed down Deep Bio, it seems. I'd love to start by learning more about your company. Right. So Deep Bio actually stands for Deep Learning Technologies to provide a bio and medical solutions. So that's I named after. And at the time when I founded my company, 2015, there was a, a some trial for applying AI to diagnosis X-ray-based images to find the lung cancer. But no other people tried to use this uh, uh, biospecimen from the pathology area because usually pathologists are using microscope and it's still in analog era so that there's no, not that much of the digitized images. And as you know, this AI started from the digitized images to uh, generate the trend model and outcomes. And I just talked with uh, multiple uh, uh, pathologists and some uh, biotech entrepreneurs at the time, and they were so excited to know that using AI, artificial intelligence, to diagnose the cancers, even from scanned images of uh, biopsy samples, the tissues. 
And they were so thrilled and excited about that. Wow, is it possible? Because usually pathologists, they are human beings. So it's not that easy for them to diagnose those uh, image-based analysis uh, consistently, uh, uh, something like that. So there's obviously some intra and in, intra and inter uh, discrepancy among pathologists because we are all human beings and you are using bare eyes, using microscope. And those microscopes are showing really tiny area of a small cancer cells. And they are watching all those big space of the uh, glass slides, which is really, really huge using that small angle. So that obviously computer can, can do some, some good uh, uh, aid in that type of categories. So I, that's how I started to build up those companies. And I focused on my career here, AI-based diagnosis. So what you're saying is there's really that human error when it comes to pathology and being able to look at a slide with a microscope, there's a lot of room for error. But if we can bring artificial intelligence into the process, we can ultimately get a better result for patients, right? Yeah, yeah, that's I, I believe so, right. And you faced some incredible growth since 2015. Tell us a little bit about how DeepBio has expanded from really just you in the beginning. That's right. I was the only one employee in my company for almost like one quarter, you know, 2015. So I just standing, I was uh, sitting inside of my office alone and tried to think about, okay, how I hire other people and what would be the uh, uh, development process or what kind of uh, uh, modality that I need to solve. Because at the time I had nothing. So I just figured out and tried to contact multiple people that I mentioned. And then uh, 2016, I hired two engineers in January and they started to study deep learning. And I, I've contacted a medical school in, in South Korea and we were able to uh, get some 200 slides of the prostate cancer uh, specimen core scanned images. So we started with a really small number of scanned images and with a really small number of engineers together. We were able to generate this proof of concept level of the product within two months. And then we demonstrated our first product to the uh, senior pathologist in, in Samsung Medical Center. And she said that it's kind of a level of a, a third month trained uh, residents residents. So we, we spent like one week. I mean, the, the GPU servers uh, trained for one week and then generate those uh, trained model. And then she suddenly compared two things with a machine and the human pathologist residents. And then she said that, wow, AI only spent one week and human pathologists spending like three months to generate this type of uh, level of the diagnosis. So that's how I started to grow this company. And because of those proof of concept level, now I got some convinced and I got a confidence and tried to purchase more number of GPU servers and hire more number of engineers. And at the end of the year, we were like four engineers and three servers. And I hired two more people for administration and uh, data annotator. And then we tried to go through this uh, Series A funding next year. And then we were able to get some funds from South Korean venture capitalists. And we do a twice of the venture capital funding rounding in South Korea. So now we have uh, 50 people in my company. From just you to 50 people, and you were right. really able to prove out the work 
something that would take a human pathologist three months to do, AI could accomplish in a week. At the time, it was a uh, entry level of the diagnosis. That's how I started my company. <laughs> Congratulations. That's really an amazing story of growth. You and the team were awarded the Edison Award for Deep DX Prostate. Tell us more about right. that product. Right. So usually when a patient uh, has a cancer, then uh, there are three different uh, phases. So first one is to meet the doctor and then uh, doctor just do the blood test and try to find the cancer biomarker, whether this patient has some indication for the cancer or not. And it is called a clinical diagnosis. And then doctors just think that because it's a prostate cancer, need to go through more detailed uh, uh, diagnosis. Then now it's a uh, imaging diagnosis using X-ray or CT or MRI based imaging devices to look into their internal organs, especially prostate cancer's uh, uh, area. But still, they cannot tell whether this patient has a uh, prostate cancer or not. Only they see the PSA, which is prostate cancer specific antigen uh, number. And if the number is really higher, then there's a possibility that this patient has uh, uh, some of the problem of their prostate. Maybe it can be uh, uh, prostate cancer hypoplasia, which is not a cancer, and, and maybe some inflammation, something like that. So the final stage is called the pathology diagnosis, and doctors are uh, uh, recommending patients to do the needle biopsy of the whole prostate. Using some ultrasonic device, they find the uh, prostate cancer area. And later in the end of that, there's a needle. So that just try to collect those tissue samples around 12 times. And then later doctors made it into the glass slides and they just go through all those slides into uh, using microscope and if they find the cancerous area, then now they just confirm that this patient has a cancer or not. And for whole process, it's kind of really painful for patients. And even doctors need to spend a lot of hours diagnosing this small, tiny area of the cancers because there are a number of uh, slides. It's like 12 number of slides. Depends on the biopsy types, maybe 24 or even some hospitals, 30 slides. So as I already mentioned, doctors are using microscope and they are go through whole those big area. So there's a possibility maybe depend on doctor's condition or depend on the workload of the uh, other patient diagnosis, then it's kind of really good to have this kind of uh, automated uh, second opinion from AI so that uh, uh, we are providing cancerous area using AI. And then later after seeing, after going through our algorithms, doctors see the different color mix. In, in prostate cancer, there are three different CVNs, the glyph pattern three, four, and five. So the score is to sum it, the summarization of two numbers. One is the largest pattern number in area. The second largest pattern number in area. So they provide those two numbers as a score. So if the patient has only glyph pattern three, then it's three plus three. And all cancerous areas glyph pattern five, then it's five plus five. And from glyph pattern three, if doctors are found some glyph pattern four area, then it can be three plus four or if the pattern four is much larger than this pattern three area, then it's four plus three, something like that. Depending on each of the stages of the severity of the prostate cancer, uh, urologists, when they do the surgery or treatments, they use that number for better treatment of the patient. So those 
score is actually really, really important for better treatment of the patient from the beginning. And it is known that by multiple uh, uh, researches have done so far, seems like uh, they have the human pathologies still have a, a discrepancy among different pathologies. So it is good that multiple pathologies are discussing the patient case together. But as you know, globally, the number of pathologies are shrinking. Therefore, kind of really important to have this kind of AI-based diagnosis. So our company, DX Prostate Cancer, actually uh, provide this gland-level accurate prostate cancer uh, area segmentation. And then we also uh, find different patterns, green spectrum three area and four and five areas in segmentation. And later, more importantly, uh, in pixel level accurate, we, we can summate all those different cancerous areas together and we can provide the proportion of green spectrum three, four, and five over two more area. But if a pathologist as a human being are measuring that kind of matrix using bare eyes, they have to find all scattered cancerous areas together and some, some of them and later all scattered green spectrum three area and then they have to do the proportion, which is kind of really tough as a human being to provide those kind of uh, metrics. And by following a colleague of American pathologist guideline for filling up the needle bias reporting in the United States, it is required to write down the percentage of green spectrum four and five over tumor area. But as I already mentioned, this estimation may be not that correct. And then uh, our software can provide more accurate numbers. And this is really important because uh, it is known that those proportion is really important for uh, prognosis dimension later on. So you're really able to do a more complete and accurate scan. And even if there is a human pathologist involved, you're giving them another set of data to get a more accurate score which ultimately leads to better treatment for the patient, right? I believe so. So that doctors can use ours as the second opinion, something like that. So when they see our result, if they think that this is not what they believe, then they can adjust the score and area by themselves so that they can do the final call for determining whether this patient has a severeness of the cancer in certain degree, something like that. You mentioned the shortage of pathologists around the world. I think all of us can also relate to the global rising incidence of cancer. So when you're working on these kinds of projects, innovation is really at the heart of what you do. Of course, innovation is also at the heart of the Edison Awards. Tell us more about your philosophy toward innovation. Uh, I think uh, this innovation, usually technology-driven uh, uh, innovation, in business-wide, there are two categories. One is to reduce uh, cost for doing some similar task with a pre-existing uh, uh, device or services or products. Another one is uh, generating new uh, area of the service or something like that. And I think, uh, I mean, for over 400 years, pathologists are using microscopes for diagnosing those cancerous area. And, and in, in device-wise, even in clinic, uh, before I founded my company, very few hospitals are adapting digitized images for diagnosing uh, patients. And, and therefore, there was a lot of uh, uh, inconveniency. So I believe that innovation is actually from the uh, uh, generating 
something uh, humans cannot do, but those products can generate better uh, uh, results. Uh, humans can get some aids out of it. So our software actually can do some kind of uh, generating these metrics for human pathologists and they may think about those as a second opinion. Sun, I'm curious about your journey as an entrepreneur. What inspires you? And tell us a little bit about this path you've been on. My major was computer science. And then uh, ever since I fall in love with uh, computers, I'm really eager to generate some of the technology-driven companies from my undergraduate time. At the time, it was around the era of the World Wide Web. And then at the time, there was a seminar and I, 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 got, a, I got some story from one uh, entrepreneur and then joined that seminar. And then he brought up one of his friends and he doesn't have any job and he graduated from really good engineering school, but two people joined the same seminar. And at the time, one guy tried to introduce uh, World Wide Web is coming and internet is happening here and explained some some of the services like uh, email something like that so at the time some of them are medical doctors and uh it turned out that one year later this unemployed uh, uh, friend built up his own company and he exited this company to the uh really big business company at the time i think uh, it's uh, jp morgan or something like that with a really decent uh, uh valuation around uh, seven seventy million or 60 million so the doctor who joined this uh, seminar thought about that. Oh, I and that unemployed friend were at the same time, at the same location, and heard about the same story. But why this guy invented the company and he do something valuable? But I was keep complaining that is kind of really, uh, unnecessary and I don't like the out outfit of the presenter. He didn't wear their suit, something like that. So, so later he figured out that it seems like those kind of a technology driven, you know, restrictive technologies are keep keep happening radically. Maybe we cannot estimate those time. So he he mentioned about this story in you know blog a long time back, and I read about the stories. So I had the same uh, feeling all the time. Because you can keep keep seeing some fancy uh, technologies happening, and like um, ninety nine percent of the people start to blaming this is useless technology, and one percentage of the people understand the valuation of this technology, and even one third of that uh, try to build up the company out of the technologies and try to generate some good, useful, beneficial technologies and products to the world and human beings are using that kind of uh, things. Even like 1910, uh, there was an article in a, a New York Times that humans cannot fly eternally. It's kind of really tough as a human beings to fly like a bird. But two months later, Light Brothers, they invented the airplane. So something like that. So technology is coming here right away. And then maybe next year, whole world just changes something like that. So I just dreamed about the kind of an anecdote and tried to build up my own company from the beginning, from my undergraduate. You saw what was possible with this example of the entrepreneur. And you said, I want right. to be like that. I want to be someone who works yeah. to solve these problems, not someone like who that. hears about it and complains. Right. And look how far you've come. Tell me about some of the challenges along the way. What were some of those roadblocks that you hit that made things difficult? 
obviously, we really need to believe our performance by ourselves too from the beginning. Because AI actually is usually a prediction model. It's not mathematically proven that it is optimal and robust. So that in, in any experiment, you may get really good results. And, but still, if you are applying real world data set from any other hospitals, you may not 100% guarantee you are generating the same level of the performance from your small experiment. So, so I was really, really wanted to generate that kind of level of the performances from the beginning. And I just figured out that even in biomedical area, there are so many biotechnologies uh, which need to be proven like that in the same way. So uh, any country like FDA or Korean FDA, they have a um, regulatory system. So I thought that, okay, we can follow that direction. And as long as our AI can be validated through those regulatory process, then at least our product can be believed that it is as good as human pathologist performance. So, so that's I really wanted to uh, prove by our uh, uh, co-reviewers. And we did a multiple times of the uh, internal validity study and later we just do the ILB with uh, multiple hospitals and we go through all those uh, clinical validation processes and we were able to generate this um, clinical validation journal paper to cancers. And then that, that's how I uh, uh, fulfill those requirements. And one of the biggest challenges was uh, that to achieve our performance in that level by going through all those uh, regulatory affairs. And another thing was obviously try to get the data set because there was no digitized images from the beginning and from the Samsung Medical Center from the first year. We only get really, really small number of slides every month. 100 slides, and we were able to collect 800 slides, which was not that enough to compare to the human pathologist performance level. But we just keep collecting those data sets. Now we have a lot of data sets from the United States, from the South Korean other organizations. We collected more than 500,000 cores. So that was one of the challenges, even just getting the samples in the beginning to be able to right. start to test your ideas. That's right. Because at the time, it is really well known that there was an image competition uh, net for very large scale images from Stanford University. So all computer vision researchers are joining the competition. They are trying to compete with each other and keep increasing the performance. It's, a, it's, it's to classify 10 different categories of the images. So the images using 10 million scale of the uh, trained data set each of the computer trained by themselves and later uh, using million test images, they keep generating a category of those test sets and the categories like thousand. So it's kind of really tough. And at the time we implemented all those really fancy algorithms from previous year's competition papers, but none of them worked from the beginning because we only have 200 slides, which is really, really small number of that. ImageNet competition has 10 million training images, but we have only 200 slides, which is too small number, so that we cannot uh, make those algorithms train properly. That's why we try to build up our own algorithms to fasten up those training process 
with a small number of data sets. And we were able to generate our first proof of concept. That's great. Let's look ahead. What's on the horizon for DeepBio? I think um, the reason why I was, I'm trying to generate those segmentation uh, uh, model of the prostate cancer diagnosis is to provide more accurate numbers. And if any hospitals or any medical school keep generating those metrics using our software, then this generated results will be much more robust and consistent and maybe more accurate compared to human pathologist reports, right? Because they are using bare eyes. And because of that characteristic, if we are using those metrics for prognosis estimation, then I believe that our generated results will generate better prognosis model and estimation. We are col collaborating with uh, uh, Johns Hopkins University regarding that, and it seems like uh, our diagnosis results predict better prognosis compared to the human pathologist results. So that uh, I believe that our next line of the uh, product will be estimated estimation of the survival analysis or uh, cancer recurrence, something like that, which will be beneficial for uh, patients to have a proper treatment. If any patient has a higher risk than the current uh, diagnosis, then maybe urologist may try to do more aggressive treatment or depends on that, something like that. So, so maybe he has a higher chance to have a better quality of life later on reduce the number of uh, recurrent rates and that thing. And later, the final stage will be, we want to apply those kind of metrics for treatment area too. So usually when any drug or some, type, some, some kind of a treatment, uh, uh, it is, I heard that only two or 3% of the user group are uh, applicable for that drug. So like 97%, they just lose their time and then so maybe they may have a side effect from that drug. So, so FDA guided, guided that it is kind of really important to provide the companion diagnosis kit with that drug so that this companion diagnosis kit can classify some of the user group which has a better responses of this drug. So that, so that I believe that by generating those kind of a diagnosis and prognosis model of our software and our product lineup, we can uh, stratify some of the user groups for drug responses later on. And then that actually increased the quality of life of the patient. So that's I'm hoping for. Well, son, your mission for ultimately serving patients better is, is right. really noble and something that's making a difference in our world. So we're glad to have you recognized with the Addison Award this year. I think so, that it's my honor. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more. You mentioned at the beginning uh, that your team was cheering and so excited to be part of the Addison Award celebration. What does it mean to you and to your team to receive this? I think uh, we, we are based in the South Korea. And then our main market is the United States. So uh, from the beginning, when I was alone in, in South Korea, my office, I thought about to uh, move my headquarters to the United States from the beginning. 
but later on I decided to uh, start my company from this region and then uh, I just co collaborated with multiple biotech companies in South Korea but still we really wanted to have our business unit in the United States and that is our next milestone and then start to do more collaboration with multiple medical centers and laboratories and clear labs in the United States and have better patients uh, and to help them for better treatment. And so we, all of our team members are really passionate, go, go through that kind of a phase and our business developers, they are spend a lot of hours and to prepare those products and services and try to collaborate with uh, other medical schools in the United States. And then it seems like a, they were really overwhelmed, overwhelmed by those uh, big uh, uh, events and the award, so that we were really happy to have a chance to get awarded like this. Thanks a lot. Well, you've built the company at home in South Korea, and you've still been able to have that global, worldwide collaboration, including with medical schools and labs here in the U.S., so congratulations. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Inspiring Minds, powered by the Edison Awards, showcasing the leading innovators from across the globe. Interested in submitting a nomination for the Edison Awards? Visit edisonawards.com. I'm Jennifer Trammell. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us for our next conversation with another inspiring innovator.